You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Today, I'm particularly excited because my guest is none other than Ellen Weber, who is the executive director of Robin Hood Ventures. Now, you may recognize Ellen's name because she was my very first guest on Speaking to Influence when we launched almost a year and a half ago. I cannot believe it has been that long. And I've asked her to come back today to share with us a little bit of expertise. We're going to take a slight detour from our normal conversation because there's so many people who are interested in the pitching aspect of being a business owner. If you're looking for funding, whether it's from angel investors, from venture capital, from private equity, from something else, being able to pitch is a critical skill. And it's not just if you're a business owner in the market, but regardless of what your role is, you have to be able to network. You have to be able to do a sales pitch. You have to be able to pitch yourself for that matter. If you're vying for a promotion, the act of pitching, the art and science of the pitch is something that's so important. And Ellen has very graciously offered to come back and share with us today some tips, some pitfalls to avoid do's and don'ts about how to nail the pitch. So with that, Ellen, thank you so much for coming back to join us again today. Oh, my pleasure, Laura. I'm so excited for you. That's wonderful. It is amazing. We're almost 80 episodes in and I can't wait to see where the next 80 goes. So thank you so much for kicking us off in the right direction. Sure. So tell us first your elevator pitch for Robinhood Ventures. What's your 30 second pitch? So we're a group of active angel investors and we help build great companies through early stage investment and mentoring. We'll invest between two hundred and fifty and five hundred thousand in the first round of investment, and then up to a million over the lifetime of the company. So, can you give us, for those who aren't clear, what is the difference between angel investment and private equity or venture capital, et cetera? Sure. So, angels are usually the first money in that's not from friends or family or from your own credit cards. Generally, angels are either successful executives or people who have had their own business and sold the business and want to continue to help grow and build companies. But they're doing that now through their funds and through their expertise, as opposed to waking up in the morning and worrying about, you know, payroll and uh, fire alarms and all the things that entrepreneurs out there have to worry about. And so one of the very big differences between angel investors and venture capitalists is that angel investors are investing their own money. So they are making their own decisions about what companies they want to invest in and who they want to invest in, as opposed to venture capitalists who have a, what we call a thesis of what kind of companies they want to invest in. And then they get other people to put money into a fund and they are the experts investing that money for other people. So there's some interesting dynamics that come up when it's your own money that you're investing. There's also some interesting family dynamics that come up Mm. with investing money into these very early companies. No doubt, no doubt. So for anybody out there who has considered 
different kinds of funding. Do not be fooled into thinking that angel investors are just giving donations. They're looking for return on the investment just like anybody else. This is not charity. It's not a handout. And it's not just an ongoing piggy bank. But on the other hand, it is a little bit more we call patient money. And they do want, they want to be involved. They want their expertise to be respected. They want to play a role, most angels. So that's something also to think about. They're not just going to write a check and walk away. What's your favorite part of your job and why? I think the favorite part of my job is getting to talk to entrepreneurs every day. And it could be everyone from, you know, I might get a call from someone who said, I have an invention to someone who's really pretty close to getting funding. Uh, I get to talk to a variety of people. I get to hear what's new out there. And I like the fact that I'm helping to give them a roadmap. So if they're not, if they're just getting started, I can give them some steps to, you know, how do you pull the trigger and start going? If they're really close to getting investment, I can give them very specific tips and introductions to get funded. And if they have an idea that is never going to get angel investing, I have the hard job of telling them Mm -hmm. and explaining why, but giving them, but potentially saving them a lot of time and trouble and helping them to figure out a different way to get that money. That must be a difficult conversation to have, the why you'll never get money with this, at least as it stands. Well, I always try and have a, you're not going to get money from angel investors, but here's here's what you can do, right? Or here's your next step, or here's who you need to talk to. I think that's really important for all of us who are in the business of investing in companies is to tell people, you know, what their next step is. If it's not, we're writing you a check tomorrow. Yes. Yes. And in all of that work, how has the last year or so changed the world of investment with regard to this kind of work? So the pandemic has been really interesting for angel investors and for our group in particular. Our meetings were always in person. You know, it was always, there was a lot of logistics to get, you know, the presenters there to make sure our members attended. There's a lot more that we can do with virtual meetings with our group. On the other hand, a little bit of that connectivity is missing. The, the things that happen when you're in the room. So we're trying to figure out ways to keep the group together and to make sure that we're really connecting with entrepreneurs. So one of the things we've been doing to connect with entrepreneurs has been, we've been able to offer weekly office hours. That's not something we could easily do when everybody was coming in person to things, but, you know, using Zoom, we're very, we're we're able to do four sets of office, you know, visits a week we can spend more time with our companies. Due diligence is a lot more thorough and engaging, a lot more, you know, through Zoom rather than back and forth via email. So in some ways it's been really positive, but in other ways, some, you know, one of the reasons why people become angel investors is for some of that connectivity and some of that's missing. So during those office hours, what are you able to accomplish with them? What really gets done? Right. So the cool thing about office hours is it's for anybody who has an idea and wants to get some feedback. And so this is not just for companies in your portfolio. This is for anybody who would want to talk to you. The office hours are not for companies in our portfolio. We have other ways. It's for anybody who's going through that path of going to get funding, but it's very low risk kind of conversation because you're not actually, the entrepreneurs aren't actually pitching. They are sharing their idea. You know, I always talk about if you 
ask for money, you're going to get advice. If you ask for advice, you might get money. Mm. So this is a great way of asking for advice. And what we can do during this call is to help kind of set the expectations for the entrepreneur, where they really are on the path to investment. Are they close to getting investment? Are there things they need to do first? You know, where, where are they truly on that path? And if it is a company that's ready for investment, we will encourage them to, you know, to come through our process. And, you know, I think one of the also interesting things is for years, the ground rule about getting investment was you need to know somebody. The best way to get an investment is to have connections. Mm. And one of the things we've learned in the past 18 months is that that's an unfair barrier, that there are some equity issues around that. Mm. So by creating these office hours that anybody can schedule, we're trying to eliminate some of the, you know, some of the barriers that, that come into play. I think that's something that is so that's such a common rule of thumb in life that it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? That having that personal connection. And if you don't have a connection to begin with, how do you start? That's why look, my oldest just started college. And one of the pieces of advice my husband and I have been giving him is get to know your professors, (laughs) go to their office hours. You need them to know who you are. You need to be able to ask questions. You know, they know of an opportunity where there's an internship or something that comes up, maybe not freshman year, but, you know, who cares when it is? You want them to think of you. You want them to know that you've got what it takes if you ask for a letter of recommendation. How is it any different as when you're looking for money? Well, it's it's just that much bigger at that point. Right, right. But and, and I think the beauty of some of the networking that's going on these days is it's less scary. I mean, I've heard that people are afraid of me or afraid of some of my colleagues sometimes. And so the ability to- why. Why are they afraid? Well, because they feel like if they say something wrong, they're not going to, you know, they only have one shot to get investment. And the reality is uh, most companies we've invested in have come through a few times. But if you do some of these low stakes meetings, right, if you do office hours or if you go to the events where investors will be and you just talk to them like they're people and share what you're doing and ask for advice, they'll remember you. It's a great connection. And, you know, again, it just kind of, it gets you started and it helps you refine your pitch because you can see what questions the investors ask and you can be sure to put some of those into your pitch. Interesting. So the the scary part is more if people are just walking up in front of the group to do a pitch cold with no relationship. That's the scary part. It's not that there's anything about the individual, right. but the opportunity then to go and have some Office hours helps you build some rapport first so you know who they are so that then when you do the pitch, it's less scary because it's people you know. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Building that rapport, letting people know you, always good first steps to take. So now let's get into that, the content of the pitch itself. Mm-hmm. And I think you've got some some tips to share with us. What are some of the biggest pitfalls that entrepreneurs fall into and how do we avoid them? Okay. Well, I think first of all, telling us everything you know rather than trying to craft a story, is one of the biggest pitfalls that I see entrepreneurs fall into. So you want to tell a story. You want to engage us. You want to help us understand what the problem is. You want to understand why you know about this problem, what research you've done around the problem, what your solution is, and why your solution will win. That's the story. That's what's engaging. And a lot of times we see really cluttered, data-filled presentations that don't really tell a story 
and make it very difficult for us to understand, you know, what it is that you're telling us. I saw a presentation a couple of weeks ago where it was 10 minutes into the presentation before I knew what the business was, what the solution Mm. was. It took way too long for them to get it. So I actually tell people that first slide that might be up for a long time while you're chit-chatting or waiting for someone to walk into the room, that's the beginning of your story, right? That's where your tagline goes. So we have a sense of what it is before you even get started. But having very clear slides is so important, not having them filled with data, making sure that we're listening to you rather than reading everything that's on your slide. That is so critical. All right, let's, can we break that down a little bit? Because there's a lot packed into that. And I want to make sure that people aren't missing it because this is really relevant. And everything that you just said, both in the story, as well as the not too packed slides and making sure people are focusing in on you. This is so connected to a lot of the training that I'm doing on a regular basis, virtual and in person, frankly, because it's not just when you are looking for money, when you're looking for investment. The analogy that I like to use is that you and your slides should not have a Sonny and Cher relationship. You need a Gladys Knight and the Pips relationship. What I mean by that is Sonny and Cher, at least on the soundtracks, were equals 50-50, but you are not 50-50 attention with your slides. Gladys Knight was the star. Pips were her backup. And she was the one who had your primary focus. She had your primary attention. And the way most people design their slides are so cluttered and so demanding of people's constant attention. Just it's like a seventh grade reading comprehension test going, oh my God, I'm being timed before the slide leaves. I gotta, well, I can't even figure out what they're talking about here. Wait, don't, don't move. I'm still reading. And they're not listening to you at all. At best, you're a pip. You're just kind of backup sound. Mm-hmm. And you need to figure out how to design them in a way that it flips the tables and allows you to be in that spotlight commanding the attention of the of the investors and and make your slides your backup that's that's your support does that sound about right that completely resonates with me i find the more information you know my brain can only take in so much and i want to look at you and listen to you and hear what you're saying so laura i agree completely with what you were saying and just you know i think it is worth finding good pictures or, you know, taking the time to, or, you know, hiring a good photographer to take pictures that symbolize what you want to talk about. And I said, you know, we don't want to see data filled slides, but one graph on a slide can do a lot if you, and you can talk through it. But what I see often is there's eight graphics on a slide and it's just, you know, mind blown. Yeah. So it should be like one fact or one message. The old way of thinking was a slide should have four lines and, you know, three thoughts or, you know, something like that and a picture attached to it. And that, that is not the way we think about it anymore. It's how are you telling your story? And, you know, so let's say there was a number that was really important. You wanted to get across the fact that 2.3 million people suffer from 2.3 billion. I think it is people suffer from asthma. Don't show me a hundred charts. Just put that one little stark number up yeah, and it's going to grab our attention and say, okay, I really need to listen to you because this is a real problem. I think it was Steve Jobs who had the rule of thumb that said just one point per slide. One point per slide is a great way of thinking about it. I love, there's a a video called how to pitch the way an investor thinks. Mm. And in that video, they take a very complex 
scientific company and break it down to you look at the slide and you get it right away. And I think that that is so important. I love that video. It's how to pitch the way an investor thinks. Do you know who made it? I can't get the name right off the top of my head. That's okay. We'll find it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure people can just go to YouTube and put in that title and it'll pop up. Mm -hmm. Okay. So making sure that the slides are clear, that it's focused, that there's graphics are great, not too many. Same thing. Stats are great, not too many. I, I find in particular when people get to slides about finances or about, I work with a lot of asset management companies, for example, or a lot of finance departments. And it drives me crazy when I see a slide pop up and the first thing the presenter says, you know, it's, it's usually a spreadsheet of numbers of some sort. And the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, well, you probably can't see this, but Oh, please don't say that. That's like, well, why are you putting it up there? This is clearly a slide for my pet peeves. Did I get it? Yes. Oh, good. That and I only get nine minutes to talk. And I'm the person who gave them nine. You know, most presentations are nine minutes, 10 minutes. And they say, I only have nine minutes to talk, so I can't say much. Well, you just wasted 30 seconds saying Right. So that's another pet peeve. But you're absolutely right. If you're going to say you probably can't see this, then don't show that slide. That's a great, great rule of thumb. And, you know, also remember that remember your audience. So if your audience is skewing a little bit older, then their vision may be a little bit of an issue. And so you really want big numbers on a slide. And there's a lot of ways, there's a lot of very concrete ways to do that. You also want to make sure that the numbers make sense and that they track and that they're consistent. So that, for example, if you're saying that you're going to be the market leader in 2024, the international market leader by 2024, but you've got no marketing expenses targeted in your finances, there's a problem. That's inconsistent. So make sure that your numbers and your presentation is consistent from one slide to the next. Because investors' brains are kind of trained to hear the inconsistencies. And as soon as we hear it, that's going to start us down a whole slew of questions that you don't really want. Mm, Okay. Right. You want to keep your story very consistent. And if it's consistent, you can see people are nodding and they're getting it and they're on board. So try and stay as consistent as you can. Now, this is, you know, we've talked a lot about the content, right? We want to make sure that the, the slides visually are uncluttered, that there's consistency and the numbers track, that there's a clear story that explains your motivation, that explains your connection with why you're doing this, that explains the nature of the problem, how you're going to solve it. Let's let's shift gears for a moment and talk about the delivery. What are some of the aspects of the presence of the entrepreneur and the way that the entrepreneur talks that helps you to buy into them or realize that they're not quite ready? For example, I mean, one of the expressions I've heard investors use is that you have to bet the jockey, not the horse. Mm-hmm. Right. You want to explain what that means to you? You know, there's three things we actually look at. It's product, it's market, and it's management or the team, right? And team time and time again proves to be the most important thing. The market is important that it's a big enough market, but it's all about the team's ability to meet that market, right? And so the team is really, it's so critical. And so what we're looking for It comes in your presentation. We're looking for confidence, but not too much confidence. We look at how you take in feedback during the Q&A part of the presentation. We look at how you answer questions. We look at how defensive 
you are, all of these things are really critical. So it's confidence without being overconfident, I think is really important. And, you know, likability is important, but it's not about, do I want to have a beer with this person? It's really about trust. Do I trust that this person can lead the team, understands the market, will be open enough to what's going on around them to take in information, to adapt the way they need? And you are conveying that when you're presenting. So help me understand, let's break that down a little bit, because that's a really big piece of chemistry that we're looking for. But that's obviously not just a little, like slides alone are not going to convey that, or talking loud enough is not just going to convey that, or the way you dress alone is not going to convey that. What conveys that trust, that confidence, but not to the point of arrogance? What are you listening for? How do you know it when you see it? Boy, you just kind of know it when you see it. <laughs> I think, you know, well, first of all, there's some passion that comes out when the presenters okay. present appropriate, you know, you're not selling snake oil, right? So, and I think it's the command of the room. It's understanding who you're speaking to, who the investors or the experts or whatever are in the room and engaging them. It's having done your homework to know who is in the room and how much they know. So if you assume that everybody in the room understands your market and your product and your industry, and they don't, you lose a little trust. And if you assume that there's no way that these people could understand stuff and you talk down, that you also lose some trust, especially when usually in most groups, there's someone who understands almost every industry, right? So, Mm. but you want to have done your homework going into it. That's such a good question, Laura. How else do you establish trust? I think it is that consistency, you know, again, as you're telling the story Mm. and having a story that you're telling, having clear examples. So you might say, you know, people love us, which is very different than saying just last week, I was talking to the CEO of of a company about our product and they said X, Y, Z. That is so different, right? Yes. I often tell people in order to get us to trust us, don't tell us you're the best. Show us yes. that you're the best. Give us examples. That's one of the best ways, I think, to build trust, to have data. But again, not overloaded with data, but data that tells a story. Yes, the show me, don't tell me. And that comes off so often, I find, with, I mean, you and I have done work together, pitch coaching for years at different organizations. And I often hear people say things like, well, we're really passionate about this, or we're really committed, or we're really, well, if you tell someone that you're great, that you're funny, that you're passionate, that you're committed, that's your evaluation of yourself. Mm -hmm. But if you can give them information or otherwise talk to them in a way that sounds passionate, give them data that shows commitment, give them testimonials that illustrate that someone else thinks that you're great, that allows them to draw the conclusion for themselves. Oh, wow, you're really passionate about this. You're really committed to this. You're really great at whatever it is. People will believe their own evaluation of you. They will immediately question your own judgment of yourself if you claim greatness of some sort. So being able to give those examples or to just speak in a way that conveys those emotions, I think is a lot more powerful. When you claim it, it's almost that Shakespearean, well, I'm going to alter his words, but um, methinks she doth not protest too much. Methinks she doth uh, self-aggrandize a bit too much. So what do you listen for as far as, you used a great phrase a moment ago, 
that they have to command the room, Mm -hmm. or in this case, the screen nowadays. So what's the difference between someone who commands or does not command the room or the screen? Well, again, I think, you know, there's some energy when they're presenting. Mm -hmm. It is still eye contact because you you have to use eye contact when you're on the screen or you're in person. I think part of it is um, showing that you are listening, but that you're still, you know what you're talking about. And so one of the ways I see people command the room is when they're asked a question, okay? So an investor asks a question, well, have you thought about X? And a, an entrepreneur who I think of as commanding the room will say something like, you know, that's a great question. Although don't overuse that phrase because that's another pet beef, right? But mm-hmm. we explored that path. We did these tests. We learned this. And we decided not to go down the road until we see data that looks like why. So you see what I'm saying? So they heard what the person said. They've actually explored it. You know, they understand it. It's just such a different way than saying, yeah, we we didn't like that. Or if an investor says, have you explored this? And the the entrepreneur hasn't, you know, to, to respond with, that's really an interesting road. We haven't gone down that road, but we will certainly run a test to look at that data and see if that makes sense or you know something to that effect. That's a person, I think, that owns the room. And in doing so, I think one of the places that I see entrepreneurs fumble the ball quite a bit is during the pitch itself, they're rehearsed, they're organized, they've got it down. Then the Q&A session comes up, as you mentioned a moment ago. And that's when you never quite know what's going to come at you. And when they get asked a question that is difficult, that they realize perhaps they should have taken into consideration and didn't, or that otherwise they feel a little bit caught in the moment or caught without a good answer, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. What should they not do? So I think one thing is not to babble. One thing is not to make something up. I've seen people try and do that. But, you know, the most important thing to say is just, you got me kind of, you know, not you got me, but, oh, acknowledge it. We'll look into it and try and move on, right? I think that's the only thing you can do. And I think how people operate under pressure from questioning really does matter so much. So when you are caught with something that you should know and you don't know, you know, I will get an answer back to you tomorrow by five is really the best thing that you can do. And then make sure you get back with an answer by five. Yes. And that's the goes right back to the consistency that you mentioned, the congruity. Do you follow through on what you promise? Right. And I've even heard some entrepreneurs turn around and say, you know, we haven't thought about that. Tell me more. And just, you know, open up the dialogue. That can be very effective too sometimes. Yeah, because that shows that you can admit when you don't know something, that it doesn't throw you off, that you don't have this facade of trying to pretend that you're perfect and that you're humbly confident enough to say, I don't know everything. I'm interested in that. Great. Tell me more. I want to learn. I think that's that's a great indicator of a confident leader. Am I correct? That's an indicator of a kind of person that you feel like is a leader that you could invest in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So final tip for those CEOs. What is something that just gives you a sense in your gut that this is a CEO you'd want to be around. This is a CEO that you'd want to have in your portfolio. Any last little je ne sais quoi? Je ne sais quoi. You know, I think just demonstrating the ability to listen, Mm. taking information, 
being very thoughtful and being extremely responsive. So if, again, if you say you're going to do something by five o'clock tomorrow, you do it. If we say we're really interested and we want to start with due diligence, send over due diligence data that afternoon. Just being very quick and responsive, I think is really important. This has been so helpful, so informative, and I'm sure there are a bunch of people out there who are going to be listening to this episode another three and four times to take more copious notes as they go. Ellen, thank you so much for joining us today. How can people learn more about you and Robinhood Ventures? Go to our website, robinhoodventures.com. Come to our office hours or come to any of the events across the country that we're participating in these days. And are those available on the website? Yes. Great. So they can find them there. Awesome. Once again, Ellen, thank you so much for coming back again and being such a terrific guest. All right. My pleasure, Laura. Take care. And thank you everybody for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sicola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sicola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.